Welcome to the Nomadic Mindset Season 1. My name is Kevin Cottom, a global nomad and the author of the leadership book, The Nomadic Mindset Never Settle for Too Long. Over the season, we will go on a journey to discover what is the nomadic mindset and how you can tap into that. For this, I will be interviewing a diverse group of cross-cultural thought leaders from all walks of life. So let's get on with it. Let's go nomading together. Today, I'm pleased to introduce to you the ever-inspiring and energetic global keynote speaker, James Taylor. You may be thinking, James Taylor, the singer, the musician. Actually, this is not that James Taylor, but however, another musician, James Taylor, and who comes from a family of touring musicians. I believe that James is a consummate nomad and has a lot to teach us about what is the nomadic mindset. He's an award-winning speaker and internationally recognized leader in creativity and innovation, the founder of C-School and host of the Creative Life podcast and TV show. For over 20 years, he's been teaching thousands of entrepreneurs, educators, corporate leaders, writers, and rock stars in over 120 countries with the likes of how to build innovative organizations and design the creative life they desire. He has a lot to tell us, so let's get on with it. I would like to first of all ask you, did you start off as a speaker? It sounded like, you know, you've been around in the creativity and innovation business for a long time, but you've got a lot of music behind you. You've got a variety of different elements in the arts. And so can you just explain a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, there's that expression about politics, isn't it? If, 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 Anyone that would want the job shouldn't be given, shouldn't do the job, shouldn't be given the job. And so for me, and most speakers I know, we've kind of come at it from all different, you know, areas and backgrounds. And I think that adds to the richness of it. Um, I think you have to live a little bit to have traveled and seen different things, experienced different things and overcome certain challenges in order to be able to take something to an audience. So for me, I come from the music industry. Uh, so my father is a professional musician. My grandfather was a professional musician. Um, on our side of our family, we were either musicians or we were boxers, bare fist boxers. And I don't like <laughs> violence. So I went, I went more on the music side. Um, and then initially I was a drummer and then I, I actually got more interested in the business side. So I managed a lot of artists and a lot of Grammy award winning artists. And mm. then about 2010, uh, a bit of a life change because I got a call one day from a gentleman who said, would you come to California to the Silicon Valley area to help as, as I'm growing this technology company? So I went there, became a vice president of, a, of an online education company because I'm also very passionate about online education and education in general. Wow. So I, I did that and we built this, the team there. We've got a great online education company. And then I was getting asked to speak more and more. And obviously there's a lot of events happening all the time in California. Yeah. And I was speaking at more and more events. And one day someone said, you know, you know, you realize you could do this for a living. This could be what you did. And, <laughs> and it was like one of the, I remember, you know, I remember seeing some great speakers when I was younger, people like Tony Robbins and a personal hero of mine, a guy called Edward De Bono. And they were really inspired. I thought, oh, I can never do that. You know, that's you know, sort of person up on the stage. But then I hit a big birthday, a birthday with a zero on the end. And, <laughs> and I decided, okay, may maybe now's the time. If, if, na if not now, never. And if it, you know, it doesn't work, it's fine. You know, I can go and go back and do, do something else. And it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made to become you know, a speaker. And, and also that this topic, which I'm really passionate about, which is creativity. It's wonderful to hear now, you said something in there, which I think is actually quite important, I think, for a lot of speakers and I think a lot of people in general, is 
they go through this period of, I don't know if I can do that, hmm. you know? And so how did you get over, I cannot do that. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I have a little bit of an advantage in that I've been around stages and events all my life. You know, I, I mean, I think first I was, I'm told I was six months old and I was taken to Ronnie Scott's jazz club, which is a famous jazz club in London yeah. and, you know, smoky jazz club, totally illegal. You know, today, if we think about it, my, my, my mother was working somewhere. My dad was doing a show that he was, I think he was working with Stan Getz, the great saxophone player. Yeah. And they had nowhere to put me. So what they did is they took me down. There was a bar downstairs at the jazz club and they gave me to the waitress, the woman behind the bar, the barmaid. <laughs> so she basically looked after me. <laughs> so I've been around events and stages for a long, long time. So I've always felt very comfortable either, you know, on the stages of being a musician or, or backstage. So that, that bit wasn't so much of a challenge. I think the thing was for me was, well, what have I got to say? And and I, I struggled with this for a long time because I hold so many speakers and authors in such high regard. And I thought I could never, you know, be that. You know, that's that's something this this otherworldly. Um, and then I remember having a conversation. Actually, it was, it was my wife. We were talking about authors, about books, and I had, you know, this, I love reading. I love books. And she was. We were talking about these two authors. I know both of them. One's um, Tim Ferriss is, a, is an author based in, in California. And another one is Chris Gillibo, who's another author based up in Portland, Oregon. Mm. And so I have all these books and all these like self-development. And Alison said to me, well, you know, I really don't like Tim stuff. It's very alpha male type of writing. Uh, I love Chris because Chris has got more, more of a heart. I can feel more of a heart there. And what I do, and and I love Tim's stuff, and I mean I love both of them, and I really engage with Tim because it it speaks to me a, a little bit more maybe than, than Chris, although Chris's stuff's amazing. So at that point, I suddenly thought, well, that's interesting. That means that you can have a thousand people in audience there, two people speaking on almost exactly the same topic, but one per, one person in the audience is going to reverberate with that speaker's way of doing things and personality and someone else is going to reverberate with another. And then that was a bit of a, a light bulb and that was, Oh, okay. That means I'm not competing with anyone. I'm just going to go in and using my own, my own voice and telling my own story, my own way. And that helped kind of release some of that to be able to go, okay, I, I'm going to go and try it and just see what happens. Yeah. It's about releasing that voice. And I guess many, yeah, cause many of us go get into that whole sort of place of, what have I got to offer, as you said, mm. and what have I got to say? And we're not very confident about, actually, we have an awful lot to say. Yeah. And we just need to dig deep. Now, which I think really comes into a lot to do with mindset. And I believe that that's, you know, that's something that I was curious about with you because you have a very, it's not a, just an entrepreneurial mindset, but because of the work that I've been doing on the nomadic mindset, I feel that you really have this adventure and this exploration and this whole sense of agility and flexibility and see things from a wide perspective as opposed to a very narrow perspective, that you're able to do that. Now, would you say that is... Yeah, there was a study I remember seeing a while back. We just had some big political things happening here in the, in the, U I'm in the UK today, obviously um, <laughs> with Brexit. And it's been happening all the time. And, and regardless of what way you, you sit on it, but there was an interesting report came out saying that 75% of the population are what we call somewhere people. So they feel very rooted to their town or their city or their, you know, their, their club. They're, they're, they're very rooted in that place. And about 25% are anywhere people. 
And I guess you would call these, these are the kind of global minded people that kind of, they would feel just as comfortable in, in Shang, in, in, uh, Sydney as they would feel in London, for example. Mm. Um, there are slightly different mindsets there. For me, I, I'm definitely more of a anywhere person. Yeah. I, I feel equally comfortable you know, where, pretty much wherever I am in the world. And I love that. And also I think it goes to this idea of values. So for me, I, I remember doing work very early on in, in you know, just self-discovery type work and finding out for me, one of my highest values is, is freedom. Or, and and I, that's a difficult word. It's a bit of a loaded word, freedom, because a lot of times we hear freedom, especially as it's used in America, which is, is a very individualistic type of thing. And I don't, I don't mean it like that. I mean, it may be like autonomy, independence. There's something around there, but just a sense of being the master of your own ship and your own destiny. Mm-hmm. And that's not the same for everyone. And I, I think when you meet another person that's like that, there's instantly a bit of a click. You, you meet a kindred spirit and you go, oh, yeah. okay, you're one of those. Yeah. And I, I tended to find a lot of the speakers that I've, especially the, the the global speakers, the international speakers, people that we know, like Frederick Haren, for example, they're very much of that mindset of going out there. There's a sense of freedom, sense of adventure, but that's not what everyone wants. I know, I know a number of speakers who they just speak in their own city. It's a big, like Las Vegas or Orlando. You don't have to go anywhere because there's so many events happening there and they feel very rooted in their community, which is great. So they don't want to do the global thing. But for me, I think Frederick actually mentioned to me. He said, you're like the, you're kind of the David Attenborough of, kind of going out there, <laughs> doing all these things and being a, I'm a kind of intellectual magpie, I guess. And, and so I, I just love that. And that's, that's for me, that's what adventure is about, which kind of links back to what you talk about, which is the whole idea of the, the nomadic mindset, which yeah. I, which I guess there's a strong pull there on the nomadic side. Yeah. In our conversation before you, you do have a link to nomadism in your history and your lineage. So do you want to just talk a little bit about that? Because we all were nomads at one point in time. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. We grew up as nomads in the very earliest of our DNA. And so consequently, something has happened throughout centuries of industrialization, commercialization, politics, the placement of borders, and all sorts of things which have created this settling which is not a bad thing. I don't want to say that. It's just that it, it is about control. Mm-hmm. It's about power control. And so can you just talk a little bit about your history? Because I'm quite curious. I mean, I think it's also really valuable. And, and it, it ties into, in some ways, your, uh, your music past as well. Yeah. Yeah. So my lineage, I guess, on my father's side is Romani Gypsies. So the Romani Gypsies traditionally come from parts of India, like Rajasthan and places like that. And then over you know thousands of years of kind of progressed, moved to Europe. So you have a lot of Romani Gypsies in places like Eastern Europe, for example. And then you have another community which came into uh, Ireland, uh, the United Kingdom, now in, in America as well. So I'm, I'm guess I, I'm from that's uh, being a part. But now it's, it's a funny one because I've never really thought about it much. It doesn't feel, I don't feel particularly strong, like in terms of tribal in, in that way, but it's always been something that's there. And I guess it's probably, maybe deep down, you'll know more than it as I do is, it's probably the reason that I feel very comfortable on the road traveling. I don't really have a, have a big, you know, I, I enjoy that. My father's a touring jazz musician, so he's touring all the world. So there's a, there's a strong nomadic side. I'm, we're very friendly with a lot of the, the, the gypsy side on the music side in uh, France, for example, like Django Reinhardt, 
Oh, really? So we know a lot like the Reinhardt family, and that, that they're, they're from a different gypsy lineage, but it's from same same type of thing. So I, I'm always kind of intrigued about is this idea, and it's it's funny just where I live now. There's kind of relatives of ours, although they're kind of distant relatives, and they they, they use a lot of Romany words, like ones that you use all the time, like pal. You know, you're my best pal. That's a, that's a that's a Romany word. Or you'll hear them say gadjoy, which is like someone that's that's not a gypsy. Or even when they talk, even when they talk about people, there's almost like there's gypsies, and then there's we call like town people. So these are settlers, people that have settled. Mm-hmm. And even you know, and it was so. There's a little bit of a kind of divide that goes on there between some of the, the gypsies who are still very much traveling. They might be in the entertainment industry, for example, going on the you know the fairgrounds that go around Europe, or they might be in the, on the music side, or they might be doing all kinds of the trades, different building trades. But then you have these other ones that come from that side who have who have settled. They've bought homes, have settled down. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting one, but I, I definitely. It's not something I think about a lot, but I, I can sense it's, it's there. It's, mm. it's somewhere there. Mm. Well, I, I think that there is a fair amount. And I think it's part of the, the DNA in some ways. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but it seems to be part of the DNA. And for example, when I was in Mongolia, I found out what the definition was for Mongolians. And most people in the dictionary means to move from place to place to find new pastures. Mm. But I found out from this woman by the name of Bacharel Bat that she says, no, 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 that's not what it means. She said, what it means is the movement of the mind. Mm-hmm. So in other words, that brings a whole different aspect into it, the movement of the mind. So we need to have this movement of the mind. I remember, as you know, for creativity and innovation is more of the right brain and not necessarily the left brain. But we need this movement back and forth of the brain, of the mind. And so she said it's not necessarily physical because most nomads today are more settler. However, they still have this nomadism in their mind of which allows them the freedom to think in so many different ways and be more agile and more cognitively flexible. And those are some of the skills they talk about which are for tomorrow or actually today, which is 2020. So... When you think of that definition, the movement of the mind, how does it play into the work that you do now with speakers, with Speaker You, and maybe yeah. you want to talk about Speaker You a little bit, and, uh, and also just creativity and innovation? Well, there's definitely a strong linkage there with creativity and innovation because you need to have that, you said that, you know, that fl- flexibility of mind. Um, and one of the things I, I work mostly with big companies on creativity. Yeah. And what I tend to find is, you know, over time, there's, there's almost like a calcification of the creative brain. Uh, <laughs> and so part of my job is to go in there and, 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 and get that flexible again and get that, 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 um, that neuroplasticity kind of happening mm-hmm. and sometimes that's just taking them into different ways and one of the things i always say regardless of what, what you're doing is if sometimes you're stuck you know we always we, oh, it doesn't matter if you consider yourself very creative or you don't consider yourself that creative but there's times when we're working on something where we just we have a little bit of a, a plateau or we just kind of yeah. like stuck or we're blocked in some way and i think travel is one of the best ways of unblocking and when i say travel that could just mean taking a different route to work it doesn't have to mean going to, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. So I think travel, and it's this idea of there must be something around people who are doing that and, and living in that way because they're having to constantly take in new information all the time and having to adjust to that and have to respond to their environment. That must be sharpening some part of their 
their senses. So I guess that's in the creativity. When it comes to the other side I do, I work with you, for example, on Speakers You, where I coach and train a lot of speakers around the world. There's so many different types of speaker training out there. And there's so many different types, what the goals, objectives that people have from training. And I was very clear, very early on, the first thing I ever created was called International Speakers Summit. And the strap line was from was something along the lines of how to build a career as a global keynote speaker speaking on stages around the world. So it's very much about being a global speaker, traveling and, and living that type of lifestyle as well, which is not right for everyone. So I know mm-hmm. when I put that out there and speak as you and other things that some people will say, actually, I, that's, I don't want to do that. I just want to speak in my local town or, or, in, or in my country. I don't want to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. The people that are more attracted to what I do and what I'm about are, are people that do want to speak on stages around the world or online stages. And they have, they, they recognize that just now we're going to see another, in the next three years, we're going to see another 750 million people coming online for the very first time. Wow. So this is brand new audiences. These are online stages that we're talking about. And that requires a different way of thinking and definitely a type of agility you know, we're doing this just now with on, on video, for example. Right. Um, and these audiences that are coming on, they're spending their time on YouTube. So, you know, if you want to be discovered as a speaker or whatever your topic is, you need to be you much more video thinking in slightly different in different ways. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited just now. And, and I think that, that whole thing about creativity, the other thing I see, you know, creativity and innovation are used together a lot of the time, but they're slightly different. They're different sides of the same coin. Creativity is about bringing new ideas to the mind. Innovation is about bringing new ideas to the world. But without creativity, there is no innovation. There are no new right. products and services. But what I'm finding at the moment, and I was having a discussion yesterday with a big, um, someone that books a lot of speakers at conferences, and she was saying she's getting asked less and less about innovation, but she's getting asked more and more about creativity. And I think that's partly a function of millennials, more millennials coming into the workplace now where innovation feels like quite a process orientated type type of thing. And there are amazing innovation speakers out there, but I come at it more from the, the, the blend of the humanistic and the machine part. And I, I think also you're just seeing a general movement now, whether it's hedge funds or financial companies or banks or whatever about things like mindfulness, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why creativity is going to be, become more of a talked about topic at conferences. You started to say something earlier, which, I, which twigged my mind and which I actually, I observed an awful lot with nomads when I was in Mongolia, also in Kenya with the Maasai and in Southern Morocco. And that is one of the chapters that I say in my book, which is called Adopt the Anatomy of a Bird. Now, one of the things that I think is probably limiting a lot of people in, maybe you can talk to this as well, within creativity and which is, you know, the source of innovation. Innovation is putting creativity into work. It's the driver, right? But there is this whole piece around with nomads are able to be very still. They're able to be very alert. They're able to be able to deeply listen and observe all at the same time. And being able to do that, and it's like mindfulness in the movement. So in other words, when I watch, you know, when I watch a Maasai walking in the Maasai Mara and just all wandering, it's like this incredible meditative motion in action, you know, and I know that the person is completely observant of everything that's going on. You can hear everything and ready to jump and ready to be alert if a lion or something comes at him or her. 
But I would suggest, and I don't know, maybe you can talk to it, is that we have lost that ability to combine all of that. We, we think, no, we have to listen now. No, now mm. we have to observe. No, now we have to be alert. Now we have to be still. A meditation and mindfulness is all of that in one. Right. Yeah. No, Molly, my, like, the way I think about mindfulness is it's not like a dulling of the senses, you know, like switching off and zoning out or anything. It's, it's about being still, as you say, but there's an, there's an alertness that also comes from that. I don't know whether alertness is the right word, but there's a, there's a, um, a knowing a presence that comes from that of being very, and, and so when you hear a car driving by, it's not that you're ignoring it. For example, you're, 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 it's, oh, that's you, you're observing it and it's, it's going, but so all these things are starting to work together. I mean, it's a little bit, the way I think about that is I was having a conversation yesterday with someone from Kuala Lumpur. She's a, a vegan chef and we were talking about where we do our most creative work. And she was saying she's on the road at the moment doing a lot of these food festivals and she's, she's struggling to create at the moment because she's traveling so much. And this is actually a thing with auto speakers because you're on the road, you're traveling you're airport to airport. Mm-hmm. I, I think you do need within all of that, you do need those little pockets, those time. And there's a certain type of thing you're, you're capturing ideas all the time, but in terms of being able to process it and think about a deep level, uh, having some type of, mindfulness practice I think is very useful because what it allows you to do is to still the top of the water so you can see what's mm, at the bottom. Mm, um, and, and I think that's, um, and I don't know this for sure. I, I haven't spoken with enough speakers about it in terms of those speakers that have some type of practice wherever they are in the world, whether it's a hotel or they're in an airport that they have some way of stilling themselves and, and, and just reconnecting in some way. Mm-hmm. I know some people do yoga. I know some people do some mindfulness practice. I know a lot of speakers who just go out for a walk mm-hmm. to, to connect with, with the, the place that they're in whenever they go to a new place or they go for a run. So I, th- I think there's something that I, I know exactly what you mean about this idea that, you know, we're not supposed to be able to, you know, to do all that, you know, two things at the <laughs> same time. Um, I mean, one of the things I've, you spoke to me about before, which I thought was very interesting uh, in terms of mindfulness, as it relates to entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship, mm. um, is around how the Bedouins work, and I've been thinking. Right. I've been thinking a lot about this. So, one of the challenges you can sometimes find for me as a creativity speaker and speaks, uh, creative innovation is people are worried. Okay, if I bring you in, you speak to my thousand um, members of my team. I'm worried they're going to get these ideas and they're going to go away and create those businesses themselves, and they're going to leave and. Mm. No, you, 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 you're fundamentally misunderstanding, you know, what, okay, they, they're going to probably come up with those ideas anyway. So it's about creating a structure, either that they become entrepreneurs within the business or they have spin out without the business. And maybe that, that, that holding company even becomes an investor in it. I was speaking right, in right. the Qatari National Bank, Finance Bank in Istanbul the other day, and they have something like that. But you mentioned something to me, which I thought was fascinating was about how the Bedouins think about entrepreneurship or in, in, in that way. And when someone in, in an organization has an idea rather than just crushing it because you're frightened in case it, it disrupts too much. Um, but that, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. That's great that you thought about that because uh, I'll just tell everybody the story about what this means. And so that we can have this conversation is, is that Berbers are, which are the nomads, which are through the Sahara in many of the different countries in the Sahara, Southern Sahara, which are 
And they're business people. They're truly business people. And so what they believe in is if you have a business and you bring someone into the business, you teach them everything. You teach them everything about the business because you want them to grow and to learn, to really expand in what they want. And then at some point, they'll say, go off, go and, find, go and create your own. Go and create your own business. Now, today, if somebody was to say that, the owners would just say, oh, my God, you know, they're leaving. We've spent so much money. You know, it's all about money and it's all about them. It's not about the possibilities that could happen. And so anyway, they, the brewers know that this person will go off and create and do the same thing. And they will tell others to do that. So this is all linkages of network. And they all then play with each other, ultimately, because they'll come back because of this loyalty and this also respect for the others. I mean, this is the important thing about organizations today, I believe, is that we don't allow, and I think the word is allow, freedom of innovation to just go and say, okay, look, that's a great subject. Go and play with it. Come back mm -hmm. and show me. I'm sure with you being in a variety, and when you think about music, right? You can't put borders up around a musician or music. If you put borders up, you won't create that piece of music. You have to yes. let the borders go and find and explore. And even if you go into an event, right, and you want to create it, is that you have a variety of departments and you go, oh no, if you dictate, duh, 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 you have to do this. You're not going to get the freedom and the creativity that might happen. Yeah, absolutely. People get so worried about someone taking their idea, for example. There was a, there was a, a musician I, I managed for many years called Tommy Emmanuel, the mm. guitarist from Australia, a wonderful guitarist. And he did the, the opening of the, uh, the Olympic Games, for example, in, in Sydney. And Tommy is like, actually like a lot of Australian musicians, they're very good at very quick at picking up on things and being able to imitate. Because in Australia, it was a place that was so far away for so many musicians to travel to you have a really strong tribute act music scene there. So for example, the Elton John, the, the Australian Elton John, I think sells more tickets than the real Elton John. <laughs> so my friend, so Tommy, who's an artist I managed, he'll go and he'll play alongside someone. He'll pick up something and he can imitate it immediately, but then he tomifies it. Mm. So he puts him, he puts it like, so in his cases, it'll be bigger. It'll be bolder because that's just the way that he is as a person. And, and some musicians get really a little bit frustrated. They say, don't take that. That's my lick. That's my thing. And he said, well, so if you don't want me to take, if you don't want me to use it, don't play it because I'm going to take whatever you want <laughs> and I'm going to take it and I'm going to put myself into it and I'm going to make it different. And so that's why when people say to me about when I was doing Speak As You and working with, and, and just essentially sharing all of my secrets with other speakers and they go, why are you doing this? You should be keeping all these to yourself. You shouldn't tell our speakers. This is your competition. And I have the completely opposite view of that. I, I'm just of the view, listen, put it out there. Even speakers who speak on exactly the same topic as me, you can go into that because as humans, we're impossible for us to duplicate things exactly. We just yeah. cannot do it as humans. Mm -hmm. We always have to go and take something, you make it similar, but there's always going to be putting your own thing into it. And that's why I always say to all the speakers, I just say, listen, Take any of these strategies, any of these tactics, any of these ideas, these, these, um, these principles I'm teaching you, go, go and do it. Go and apply it and put yourself 
into that so it's uniquely yours and then tell me how it works and, and let me know what the, what the results are and so i'm always and that obviously is beyond speaking that's that's in terms of in businesses like you were saying there with the the berbers i think that's a that's a great way of thinking about it because all the all like the speakers you members that that we have it builds a level of trust and a level of intimacy and then you can go a little bit deeper with it and, and my job is to support them in, in their growth I, I totally agree with you. And I think that, you know, I mean, I think what you just said was what happens. And my sense of the matter is because you think that way, this is really, you are a fine example of a person that owns a nomadic mindset. Because nomads realize that you can't own anything. You don't own the land. You don't own the animals. You don't own anything. It is given to you. And you just have a time with it, and then it moves on. And this whole attitude is, is not a religious attitude, because they, the ones that I saw were Buddhist or Christian or Muslim. That is human. That's a basis of humanism. And that's where it comes from. We have become all this protection because of competition, but it has narrowed the mindset. And so what I think that, you know, what we talked about is, is that, um, is the width an expansion. You have a very, we started off with, you have a very expansive mind and able to focus in very quickly. And nomads, there's this wonderful saying, which I love, is think vastly, act narrowly. A millennial nomad in Mongolia told me, think vastly, act narrowly. And so it's in the book, and I think that you'll love that. But what it means is, is that look expansively, first of all, find out, gather as much information, and, and, and then Make a decision from what all you hear and make it quickly. Yeah. Don't go slowly at it. Make it quickly. And then, but they're able to flow back and forth. Yeah. But it's and, an and error. That, that's an important point. The action is, is actually really critically important because I think we're, where we are now in our history, because of the internet, we have so much information that's around us. So in, yeah. in, in terms of the thinking vastly, now is an incredible time to do that because you have all this information. You can connect with people around the world, but there is a little bit of that paralysis by analysis exactly. starts to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think the acting narrowly, taking that next step or the acting bit and going and saying, okay, I could do all these things, but what's that one thing that, I, that, that we're going to test first or pilot first? Or that's, that's such a critical thing. Cause I see, I see a lot of people who they have all this and they, they can become almost like seminar junkies. Right. They just go from one seminar to another, but you ask them, well, what have you done? What are, what are you doing this week? How are you using this? And it's, oh no, I'm going to get, ra- I'm going to get around to it. And I think just, you know, just, just choose one thing and just go, you know, go, go for it. Yeah. That choosing one thing. I mean, I think that, and that's another thing when you observe, uh, you know, nomads, you'll say, oh, well, they're very simplistic. Actually, no. They have a very complexity to their lives, but at the same time, they find what is simple because they say that one of the Maasai said to me, which I loved, is, is that you Westerners are, have a con- are congested in the mind. I love this <laughs> word, congested. So, I mean, what does that mean to you? And, when, you know, and I think that for, for speakers, for example, we do get congested because we get limited as to, oh, no, we're going to do the wrong thing. Oh, we can't say it this way or whichever. We get into yeah. formulaics, right? Now, it's, creativity is not formulaic, right? I mean, no. you really don't want formulas. The, 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 and and that, that idea of you were talking about the, 
so the way I think about that is I don't drink, but if I did drink, I'd probably be a whiskey drinker being from Scotland. Um, <laughs> now, whiskey is complex, not complicated. And so when I say that, I mean the ingredients of whiskey, there's only a few. There's only two or three, really. Water, I think it's hops, I can't remember. The, the, it's basically two or three ingredients. Yeah. But there's a, you can do a huge level of complexity within that about how you, you do each of those things. And I, and I think when I, when I teach at Speakers You, for example, we just have these four areas. I said, listen, you just need to, there's all these things you can do, but you just really need these four things. Marketing, sales, your craft, and then the profitability. That's it. You know, it, it's simple as find opportunities, contact the people, give a great speech. You know, that, that it's not complicated. But there's, you can do a, there's a complexity. There's a, the more skilled you become at something, you go to higher levels mm. in that. When you see a great speaker, you can see. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I love going and seeing those speakers or any type of performer where you can listen, uh, watch it on three different levels. You mm. can watch it just. I sit. I kind of sit back, experience it. Like, oh, this is this is really you know this is uh, just ent- more entertaining. Right. Or you can you know lean in a little bit more where, oh, oh, I'm picking up on that. I'm going to use that thing. Or if you're in the craft of that, whatever that person's saying, you can get really going like, why did they say that just before that? How are they using alliteration? How are they using their body on the stage? And I, I love watching speakers that can, you know, that have all those levels to what they're doing. Yes. No, I mean, that's, it's, it's very important to be able to see that. Now, as far as the nomadic mindset is concerned, what would you say are some of the real attitudes and qualities that represent that for you? For me, it's agility, one. Traveling lightly, having the minimum number of things that you have to, to travel with. You know, we've got it down to a bit of an art form and I just I take as little as possible because I just feel that stuff it just holds me back and they don't use half the things anyway. And then connection. You know, when you whenever you go somewhere, I'm I'm always looking like, like, for example, the other day I was, I was speaking in Berlin and I'm always, so I was speaking in the morning and I'm, I arrived in the day before and I'm going and I'm walking out the day before in the evening, I walked to the tear garden and I'm looking, I'm looking to connect with people and, and just like pick up little stories. Cause as, as speakers, we, that's our stock and trade is stories. And so I'm always looking to pick up. So what, can I use that? Can I use that? Is that useful? So you're always kind of like looking at resources yeah. and thinking, oh, can I use that? So that, that's probably, that's a, probably another one there as well. But at the same time, having a place, and it could be a place in the mind or a physical place or, or, or a, you know, a, a tent or um, a yurt or a, a boat caravan if you're a gypsy, is that feels like the home place that, the, the, that you, you do come back to. Because I think it could become quite easy. And, and I've lived a little bit like this in the past where being on, on like 12 months where you're right. away, come a little bit, a little bit detached. Mm. And a friend of mine is a bass player in a band called Simple Minds. Mm. And we were talking about this the other night and, and he'd been on the road for 12 months or something. And they were just coming back and start seeing his family and do that. And I, 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 we were saying about, he said, you need a bit, essentially a week period of re-entry. Yeah. <laughs> because when you've been on the road and especially if you've been with a group of other people on the road, you're in a bubble really. Mm. And, and you, you're, you're talking little phrases to each other, which will might set you off in hilarity, but it makes no sense to anyone else. So you have to, and so what he did, I think he actually went on a cycling trip to New Yorker just for a week, just on his own just so we could start that process of re-entry into civilian life, town life. Um, 
Yeah, kind of like yes. a, a spaceship coming in, re-entering into the yeah, atmosphere, right? Yeah, exactly. You're, you're depressurizing, or if you otherwise you're going to get the bends. If you right, if right, right, right. So those are great. Uh, and do you find then that those are actually attitudes that are promoted within the organizations that you are working with and what you see? Most of the time, not. I think agility, especially in tech companies, I think that's I see that more in the kind of Silicon Valley. You've got a little bit of that kind of Silicon Valley mindset. That's part of it there. I think I would say the doing having less is perhaps something that's coming around more with millennials. Yeah, we have the whole thing like the, um, the small home movement that's going on just now in different parts of the world. Yeah, this is a tiny little, which is I love. It. I think it's really fantastic, and so I see. Those in, in different ways. Connection, I think we're at a point in history just now. I can start to see it's coming out of it. We've been so, in terms of online and social. I was having a conversation yesterday with, um, with, with a lady. She was, you know, she's probably 24, 25. She now is craving that human individual yeah. connection with other people now. Because she said, I spend all my time, job, and you know, these things. And, and I just, I just want it to, when, when, when I come out, I just want to connect. You know, I just want to, you know, connect human, human to human. And she said, you know, she was on a date the other night. She tell me, and she said, <laughs> it was bizarre. Yeah, I'm, I'm on this date looking for this, obviously, a human, human connection. And the other person's on the phone on a dating app while I'm speaking to him. Oh, yo. Exactly. <laughs> that was so, my response as well. I'd say, bye. And, <laughs> But exactly, this all the time at, 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 at dinners, you go around and, and, and entire families are not speaking to each other. They're sitting on, yeah. their, on their phones. And so I think there's something a little bit wrong about that. There's certainly here in the UK, there's a big trend around ordering in food, you know, using apps. And so you might have four members of a family, you know, and they're all ordering from completely different places. They're all eating meals at completely different times. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested to know, you know, your background with the nomadic thing. I think food is a big part, which we haven't even spoken about, but yeah. making bread <laughs> I think we can go into a lot more. <laughs> I, 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 there's so many, many subjects that I, I would love to continue talking with you. I think on that one point, I just want to also say with regards to connection is that a friend of mine that I was with recently this weekend, Mariana Pascal, she says <laughs> that she finds that in actual fact, the youth of today, they're not able to speak when you actually speak to them, is they don't know what to say or to respond or how to respond. They just won't say anything. And which I think is a bit disconcerting in many, many ways. And so I think that's not really being part of the nomadic mindset. That is actually shutting down. And nomads are not about shutting down. They don't talk a lot, but the point is, is when they talk, they, they talk for a reason. And it's poignant, they're very strategic. Nomads are incredibly strategic because they know everything is about survival. So they need to have the conversation. They need to have the collaboration. They need to have the sharing. And that, I think, is what you do so beautifully with us and Speaker You is you share, is that you bring us together like a tribe, and which is very rare, and you just let us go and say, take it away, do what you need yeah. with it. And I think that... One of the big problems with big organizations, right, is that they, leaders are afraid to do that. They're in such incredible fear that other people will hear what they have to say or whatever. But my question is, what would happen if you allowed that? 
you know, it's not obviously working very well. Uh, well, maybe quasi, but I mean, the point is, is always, so do you think a nomadic mindset is needed more in organizations today? That Definitely just because of the, spe the, the, the speed of change that we're, we're experiencing at the moment. So you have an organizationally, definitely, because every industry is being disrupted in one way or the other because of artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics, internet of things. So it, it definitely requires that agile mindset. And I would also say for people in the world of work, regardless of what age you are, mm. actually, especially people coming in now, previous generations would have, they, let's say if someone became, they, they would, might work for four or five different companies, but they would stay in the same profession. Right. Today, that's not true. Yeah. Uh, today, you might work in one profession for 10 years, take a break, relearn, do something else, and then go to a completely different profession. So that requires a level of agility. It also requires a level of resilience, mental resilience mm -hmm. to, to not just to learn, but to unlearn. And I, so I think whether you're just as an individual and yourself and thinking, okay, I actually need to adopt more of this nomadic mindset because this is what, this is where the world is going in general, or your company thinking about how can I ensure that we attract the brightest and the best to our business and they stay, they stay with us and they can help develop and we can, you know, we, they can, even if they leave their advocates for what we're doing, their evangelists exactly. for what we're about exactly. as a business. Exactly. Um, then that's, that's, you know, I think that's definitely needed. Yeah. And what is one thing that you feel if, if there's to say to organizations, what they could do to attain this uh, nomadic mindset, what would that be? I guess it goes a little bit to the tr more the tribe thing. Uh, I think there's a huge value in offsite retreats. I know they're expensive to do. Normally it's the, only the senior management, they get to do them. But I think there's a lot of value to do them throughout the organization. I think there's a lot of value to actually bring in customers into those offsite retreats. Uh, when I, whenever I do creativity workshops, I'm, I'm always trying to encourage the organization. Can you, can we bring in some customers in this as well? And first of all, they're, they're really worried that no, 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 because we, you know, we don't want to you know, bring them aside and see what we're doing and things like that. <laughs> but you know, I think you should maybe ask your customers what they want. So I think offsite retreats are really powerful. And, and we've seen this, you know, when you bring that, tribe together to, to do yeah. something and you put yourself in a different location and maybe, maybe they go and spend time, you know, like one of these tribes you're, you've been spending time with and just see, uh, see things from a completely different perspective. And maybe you think, actually, maybe we can, we can simplify things. We can, it provides a, a level of agility and we can streamline things. The entrepreneurial nature, like you were talking with the Berbers as well. Perfect example for that is Lush Cosmetics. They've just changed their business model. It used to be Lush Cosmetics, which is a, a cosmetics company aimed at, at mostly uh, women aged 18, oh, sorry, 14 to 25. They had all their social media accounts and every day they were putting out content and pictures and videos. And then they said, why are we doing this? Instead, they closed all of their accounts, 500,000 Instagram followers, and they said, let's just talk with, our, with influencers and customers and let them talk about us, our brand. Let's do that instead. And that's, and it, so it's completely changed how they're doing it. And I think that's you're going to start seeing that, that a lot more rather than being just promoting out at all time, but bringing communities together, being a, you know, having that, in, like that node in, in, a, in a computer that's bringing everything together. Right. You know, I mean, there's so many formulas today that we need to do. And everyone says you need to do this. And even in the speakers <laughs> industry, they say you have to do this, 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 and this to get where you are. And the, you know, sometimes it's the breakaway that just says, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm going to find I mean, my the truth. 
And, and that's what you did is you broke away and did your yeah. own thing. The truth is you really don't have to do anything really, but maybe one or two things. In the case of speakers, you have to book gigs and give a great speech. That's it. That's, that's it. Strip it down to that. So we can talk about Instagram, LinkedIn, experiential line, all these different, that's fantastic. But just go out there, find gigs, book gigs, give a great speech. If you do that, every year you're going to get double the amount of gigs that you did the year before. And so sometimes I th- I'm always interested in what we call first principles. Uh, Elon Musk talks about this a lot. Always thinking about, well, what do we know that's really true? When we strip it all away, none is fear of missing out. What is it absolutely true in anything? And I think any field, there's always a few first principles and you just find out what those are. Well, on that note, the first principles are for us to finish at this point in time. It's, it's, it's a sad thing because you are a great guest and someone that is not only vibrant, but you've got an incredible spirit. And I want to thank you very much for being on with the Nomadic Mindset and Honestly, you have been a great teacher for me, and now I will, I'm glad that we can also share this with everybody else. Now you're going to be a teacher for me. This is what I'm going to be reading this week. Yay, 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 yay. <laughs> well, it, it, and that is the pure collaboration of togetherness, and that is what I think is wonderful, and that's very nomadic in a sense. So I want to thank you very much for this time together. Well, thank you. I wish you all the best with all the nomadic mindset work that you're doing just now. You've been listening to The Nomadic Mindset Season 1. My name is Kevin Cottom, and I invite you to find out more about The Nomadic Mindset at thenomadicmindset.com. Until next time, make it a point to go nomading and start discovering your nomadic mindset.